So if you've been here over the summer, you will have picked up on the fact that um, we are in a series of psalms, the psalms called the Ascent Psalms. And these Ascent Psalms are psalms that um, are called that because this is songs that the Jewish people would have sung as they pilgrimed up to Jerusalem for festivals um, for the Jewish calendar. So um, as they went up to Jerusalem, they would have sung these psalms. Um, Up to, because Jerusalem is both high in elevation, but also in spirituality. So people would have been coming up to the peak of being able to celebrate and worship God at the temple. So these songs that we look at, these ascent psalms, and actually all the psalms, are like lyrics to a song. It's like we've got a hymn book that we're looking at, or maybe in more modern terms, it's, for me, it would be the lyrics on the back of a CD cover, or it may be click on iTunes and pull up the lyrics and be able to see the lyrics. And that's what we have. So, and just like those pilgrims, back then, singing songs as they traveled to worship God. Of course, we carry on singing today. And um, thank you for the the lovely singing earlier. Stephen and the band, it was fantastic. So songs are designed to encourage. Songs also give us the chance as God's people, as his whole church, to be able to sing of our joy and our appreciation of our wonderful Father. And our songs today, and these songs that the pilgrims sang a long time ago, actually, if we really think about the words, they're not just encouraging, but there's also words of challenge. Sometimes we find ourselves singing words that we're not quite sure about, or songs that, where the words are, frankly, aspirational. We would love to be able to sing those words and really know it in our hearts and mean it. And that's fine. So let's look at a specific example. So earlier on, in fact, our first song, we sang King of Kings, Majesty. And in that song, we sang these lines in the chorus. Your majesty, I can but bow. I lay my all before you now. As we sang those songs those particular words, sorry. Did you think about them? Did you think about what they meant? For me, I long to be able to truly say these lines for myself. I lay my all before God now. I'm challenged by two words here. Do I really lay my all before God? Or is there some part of me that I am actively or subconsciously keeping away from God? And secondly, the word now. As much as I was committed to lay my all before God as we sang, I just want to, you know, I I don't want to just be convicted now on a Sunday for this. I want this to be my, I want to lay my all all week. Whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, at work, or on the bus, or in the pub, or in private on my own, lay my all before my heavenly father 24 hours a day seven days a week and that means that line is particularly challenging so the the challenge that that song presents is a good challenge and just shows even more why songs we sing should be challenging and aspirational as well as encouraging 
So today we're going to look closer at this ascent psalm. And as we look at it, let's bear in mind Paul's words to Timothy uh, from 2 Timothy 3, where Paul reminded Timothy that all scripture, including this psalm, is God-breathed. That's my words, by the way. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So can I ask you to have your Bibles open? It would really help if you did. So um, in fact, I'd like to insist on it. If you could open your Bibles or your Bible app, if you're more modern and uh, you've got your phone with you or your iPad, whatever, that's fine. So open your Bible at Psalm 131. And if you're old school and using the church Bibles, it's page 625, but you already know that. We're going to look at these words really carefully. So let me read this psalm again. It's just three verses, but such strong verses. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with greater matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. So what I'd like us to do now is for me not to do all the work tonight, but for you to do some work. So what we're going to do is I'm going to leave you with some time to think about these words yourself. Think about, you can see from the top that David wrote these. So think about what David meant by these words. Think about what parts of these words you think, I haven't got a clue what's going on there. And try and work out what it could mean and what God is trying to say to you. Or what parts you know exactly what it means, but you would find very difficult to say for yourselves. So we're going to spend three minutes or so looking at this pilgrim song. So please feel free to just ponder on your own as you look at those verses and enjoy these three minutes of being able to spend time with Scripture. But before we do that, I think it's always a good idea before looking at Scripture that we pray. So let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we have this song in our Bibles. Thank you, Lord, that we have this time today to really ponder on its meaning. Its meaning then for the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, but also, Lord, for us right here in Claygate this evening. Help us each to see what you want to show us in these words that you inspired David to write and ordain for us to read today. Amen. What incredible verses. I hope you found that time useful. Well, we're not going to stop now. We're going to carry on looking, but now all together, more about this psalm, about what it could mean and what God wants to teach us tonight. So let's look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. 
How did you respond to these words? Now, first of all, I want to recognize that each one of us came into church this evening feeling different emotions and thinking different thoughts. We all come from different lives. Maybe we are full of joy or maybe sadness or even feeling troubled or worried about something we have done or something that is happening to us. And so maybe you're feeling actually a million miles from feeling proud at the moment. If this is the case, then focus on the third verse of the psalm. There is hope in the Lord, both right now and forever. Right now, there is hope in the Lord. So focus on that. And if you'd like to pray or talk with anybody afterwards, Sarah, myself, and Claire will be around to pray with you or talk with you after the service. But I guess many of us will have come here with more passive emotions. And so how does this verse make us feel? Well, this verse is all about how we should think of ourselves. Not thinking of ourselves either too highly or too lowly. God has made each one of us with amazing gifts. Gifts that can create things. Whether it's playing a musical instrument, helping a child to read, pruning a tree, solving a simultaneous equation, being a good friend to somebody, or making a wonderful, tasty pea soup. He gave each of us unique sets of different gifts. And I apologize if I haven't mentioned yours. (laughs) Well, there are two things I want us to consider here. Firstly, as Christians, we believe that these gifts we have, these abilities, come from God. Well, in the affluent West, sometimes it's easy to slip into the attitude that the reasons why I am here where I am and that I've succeeded where I have is that I've worked hard and achieved this status for myself. And so we can feel proud of what we have achieved. Well, we've just already seen that this psalm is actually written by King David. King David was one of the mightiest, if not the mightiest, king of Israel and has been remembered by Jewish people thereafter throughout history as their finest king. So of all people, he would have had reason to be proud. And yet he is not. He puts his gifts down to God. As Christians, we believe that we are all made up by God. Our characters, our characteristics come from God, whether we are scientific or or more artistic, whether we are more introvert or extrovert, whether we can pull all-nighters or whether we are early morning workers. All comes from our loving Heavenly Father. And so our thanks, our gratitude for the blessings of life should go straight back to Him who made us the people we are in the first place. Paul instructs the Galatians and the Corinthians, and also us, that in fact the only thing we can boast in is Christ, giving him and his Father all the glory. And there's a freedom in that, because pride puts ourselves against other people. It gives a comparison between us and others, which just shouldn't be there. God's just gifted people differently. 
And that comes to my second point. And that is that God certainly didn't give some people all the gifts. By which I mean there are things that all of us are rubbish at. There are some things we just can't do. I cannot play a musical instrument. I never was able, and I know I never will be. So in everything, we need other people. And that's God's intention. God's intention was that we should rely on each other, either in the workplace or in families, or certainly in our Christian community here in HTC. In thinking about this verse, I wanted to share one work thought for you, work-related item. I'm now 52, and throughout my career in technology, I have been fortunate enough to have had many bosses who have really been able to discern both uh, my potential, but also, maybe more importantly, have been able to see my limitations. I can see now, looking back, that they encouraged me to build up my strengths, but enabled me also to not be exposed in my weaknesses and make sure that I was well supported in those weak areas. One wrong move in my career came about when a boss who I liked very much saw my potential, but unfortunately didn't see any of my weaknesses. He flattered me and basically complimented me into a more senior role than I should have had. Before I knew it, I was managing far too many people and was unable to exercise my creative gifts and became unhappy and, frankly, not very good at my new role. And it wasn't long before I was exposed. So knowing who we are, knowing and being thankful for how God has made us, warts and all, knowing our own weaknesses, and being honest with ourselves and others about these, was and is a key learning that I am reminded about by, from this verse. So let's move on to the second verse. But I am stilled and quietened, but sorry, but I have stilled and quietened my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What beautiful words, what incredible pictures we have in our heads. What did David mean by this, though, and what does he want to teach us about God? Well, the first thing is, the first word in that verse is but. And the but word is a connecting word. And connecting words are really important when we're studying the Bible. Because what this means is, sorry, examples of these, but, of these connecting words are things like therefore, or however, or consequently, or because of this, or in the same way. And these words really should prompt us to hold on to what we've just heard and keep that in our mind and bear that in mind as we move on to the next idea. Okay? So here, this but connects our first verse with our second verse. Starting with this attitude concerning pride from verse 1, we get to verse 2. Turning now to God, David now says that it is key to be still and quiet with him, to have that time, that quietness, to just stop all the rush of life, stop the dominance of the self, the busyness of the meanness of life, pausing to think outside the rat race. We come to this stillness with the right attitude to ourselves, not thinking too highly or too lowly of who we are, 
It's really important to have these quiet times with God. Whatever time you find works with you. For many of us, this might be early in the morning before the rest of the house wakes up. I have found throughout my walk with God that I only progress when I'm having quiet times, when I have time with him. Without that, we stagnate. Okay, David likens this quietness, this serenity, to being like a weaned child with its mother. In this simile, there's obviously an implied comparison between a newborn baby and a baby that's grown up and been weaned and moved off milk. So what's the difference between these two stages? Well, child developers, well, actually the internet, have told me that babies drink and need milk about between 8 and 12 times a day. In addition, as new moms learn very quickly, the baby sets the timetable for this feeding, not the mother. At all times of day or night, the baby senses that they need milk and lets the mom and dad know in the only way they can by crying. There's an intensity and a rapid frequency of interaction. The first fundamental difference when a baby moves from milk to food is that the frequency of feeding goes down rapidly from 12 to 3 times a day, 3 meals a day. There will be periods where the now weaned child will need to wait. The family now sets the timetable for feeding, not the young child. This initially can be hard for the child to understand or accept. Uh, well, I had hoped that Beth would be here, my daughter, because uh, this is the time that we as preachers get the opportunity to embarrass our children. Uh, don't worry, Rob, I don't have a story about you. Well, Beth, my daughter, who's 21 now, uh, was first offered milk in a cup. When she was first offered milk in a cup, uh, rather than the way that she'd become accustomed to all her life, you should have seen the disgust on her face. I'm not having that. What on earth is that? But although she didn't know it, this was for her best. And she wasn't going to get her way this time. Not this time. This teaches us about our relationship with God. As we grow in faith, we should understand better that following him is not always trouble-free. But that when trouble comes, rather than crying out to God, why me? The emphasis in our thinking and our prayers is to know that God is with us. And although the situation we find ourselves is unpleasant, he loves us so much that firstly, he is with us in our trouble. And secondly, that through the times that aren't full of joy, he wants to teach us more about him, enabling us to trust him more. And just as a child learns to trust her mother, so we learn to be more and more reliant on God. What we have to learn, in the same way as a toddler does, is that God gives us what we need when we need it, not what we want when we want it. The third verse in our very short psalm. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Where it says, O Israel... This means really, O oh, people of God. So we should think, O oh, people of Claygate, O oh, people of HTC, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. 
So here, after verse 1 and 2, where we've seen that we should uh, see ourselves as we are made and trust that he has good plans for us, we now move on to see that our hope should be in him. In a moment, we're going to sing that great new song that we sang last week uh, called Yes and Amen. The chorus has these words, and I hope when we sing it, you'll really think about these words. Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. Faithful you are, all your promises are yes and amen. So our modern song echoes the sentiment of this old song, Psalm 131. Faithful you are now, but faithful also forever you will be. And that, notice that at the end of the verse. Put your hope both now and forevermore. This is so important. There are two things we need to remember. Following God is not just about now, but also forever. And following God is not just about forever, but also for now. God is both in the now and the forever and everything in between. God promises an amazing afterlife. A new world will be restored. All wrongs will be put right. We read this, and there's a great joy in reading this in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where John writes that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. So there is a great promise of the forever. But also God is, sorry, but also faith in God is completely for the now too. We don't have to wait. He is here now and wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. The joys, the sorrows, the times when things are going fine, and the times when it all gets a bit messy. Knowing God through all of these difficult times make life, makes life purposeful and also content. Jesus promised in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Putting our hope in God is truly for the now and the forever. Finally, like all good Anglican sermons, my sermon can be summed up into three points. Firstly, we should seek out who we are and who we're not, how God has made us. Secondly, we should trust God through all times of life. And thirdly, we should put our hope in him in the now and the forever and every time in between. But actually, the real conclusion to this talk needs to be with you. God, like the wonderful pastor, knows each one of us intimately and knows what we need. He knows which of us needs comforting this evening and which of us needs to be challenged, challenged this evening by the words of this psalm. Now, this pondering on the psalm concludes for each of us, but it shouldn't conclude. We should carry on thinking about this as we leave this place. And our conclusions will all be different because God ministers to us differently. 
as only he can because he knows us so well. So I will leave the conclusion to you and to God's ongoing care and immense love he has for every one of us. Amen.